You're listening to the World Outreach Podcast, dynamic conversations designed to empower our community as we engage unreached people groups everywhere. In today's conversation, we're going to speak with Grant, um, working in Mozambique, discussing the importance of literacy and how that impacts our discipleship-making process among unreached people groups. Really excited to have you on the program today, Grant. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Yeah. So before we jump into um, it and our conversation today, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, how you got into mission? Okay. Um, I'm very normal. I'm a <laughs> trained teacher, taught for many years in school. Uh, I lived lived amongst uh, people who spoke a language called Kosa in Southern Africa, South Africa for many years. Uh, and that kind of gave me, a, I think when I when I first came to Christ many years ago, the, the church that I linked into was a was an indigenous Kosa church and um, they kind of discipled me. And that um, it just gave me a heart, I think, for evangelism, for seeing people come to know him, see people being, people being healed. And um, later on, I, I went and studied became a school teacher um, and worked as a school teacher for a number of years in South Africa and then moved for several years. Which time I was married to my wife, she had the same desire. We'd been praying for a, a group, people group called the Makua and uh, we came and actually taught school amongst the Makua on a mission station at a primary school uh, and we did that for several years. Uh, later on we moved to a big high school in the south. But I, I think the bug that I'd gained from living with tribal people uh, before my qualification um, and just living normal Christian life with them uh, and really just stayed with me and we went back to South Africa for a couple of years we'd, we'd had three children by now we had them in the bush in Mozambique um, and whilst in South Africa we were there for two years and we just we felt a hollowness in our hearts we felt there was something we were called to we weren't doing so we were invited to come back to work with an organization called Outreach which is like here we are, um, to work with Muslim Akwas on the coast. So when we came back, we said this time we're not working with any official form of infrastructure. We're not going to work through official schools. We want to do things in the Makua paradigm. So yeah, that's what we're doing. We're we're church planning, uh, working out CPM principles on the coast of Mozambique amongst Muslim Nahara Makua. Yeah. And those people groups, from my understanding, most of them are oral, non-literate, mm-hmm. um, and therefore understanding literacy, understanding language, and how that works and impacts people's life becomes quite important. Right. Um, particularly right. in the communication of the gospel and everything mm-hmm. like this. So how is it that uh, this language and literacy what makes it so important for the communication of the gospel and why does it matter so much for those working in oral society? I think, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a bit of a, a learning curve for us because when I lived amongst the Kosa people, even though none of them could speak English, it was taken that because I'm in their ground and their territory, I need to learn their language. And I did. And I saw the power of people who have a faith in their heart language. I just saw that, that dynamic. Uh, and what I met here amongst the Nahara were anybody, anybody who becomes Christian becomes Portuguese. They, they pray in Portuguese. Or if they're Muslim, they pray in Arabic. But that, that deep understanding that God loves me in who I am and my ethnicity is something precious in his sight, that is compounded and solidified when a stranger comes in and says, I've learned your language, I've learned your heart language, that I can communicate the gospel as best as possible to you. Um, that's powerful. Yeah. So step back really quick and what do you mean by heart language? Okay, well, you know, here's an interesting dynamic. I'm, I'm English, South African English. A lot of people don't believe me. They think I'm Afrikaans because I'm white and I'm South African. But uh, there is a small little pocket of English-speaking South Africans. My mother's from London. My dad's originally from Germany. Um, so we grew up English at home. My wife is Afrikaans. Her people go back 400 years in South Africa. We both speak fairly fluently one another's languages. We're bilingual. Um, but when I really, really want to just 
express myself at home or read a book, um, I'll, I'll use English. Um, we've got people in our church, we've got a little, little expat group who are Afrikaans, but their English is perfect. You often won't realize that they're, that they're actually Afrikaans speaking. When we do storing with the expats and we do it in English, they also, we also do it in Afrikaans. Because when, they, when we do it in Afrikaans, they remember everything. When we do it in English, they come out as looking as if they're not good at memorization. They don't remember half the story and forget all the names. But when in normal daily interaction with the rest of the expat community, they seem to be English. So the heart language is that language you've learned in the mother tongue. People learn their, mo their mother from a language from their mother. Uh, my dad's German, I don't speak German, but my mother's English and I definitely speak English. The importance of talking to people in a language that talks to their heart is I won't say paramount, but it's very helpful. So it's the language that people generally first respond in, they think usually in, they dream in that language usually, they mm -hmm. connect, it's like the natural disposition right. that they go to. If they sit comfort. back and they're tired and they start to talk, yeah. that's going to be the language they use. Yeah. Where, where I really saw the dynamic was I worked, we worked in Portuguese in Mozambique for the first eight years. I worked with teachers, we, we spoke Portuguese, we taught in Portuguese. But when I learned Makua, I met different people. They were the same people, but when I suddenly spoke to them in their mother tongue language, there was a tension that was gone, there was a sense of, um, can I say almost falseness, an artificial sense that was gone. Um, we took the plastic packet off, off the bread of the gospel. Right, okay. So for those who don't understand Mozambique, Portuguese is spoken here as a trade language in general across Mozambique, but there's Correct. still tribal languages uh, spoken by a variety mm -hmm. of different people groups. And so while people might be able to communicate in Portuguese, it's not their first language. It's not right. where they originate. It's not what their mother speaks generally. Correct. Correct. It's a functioning language. Yeah. Yeah. But their heart responds into their local tribal or dialect that they're... Right, yeah. 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 And so then you're, you're expounding on this idea that they hear the gospel in that language, in this mm -hmm. idea of in their own tribal language. When we take the time to learn their tribal language or their heart language or find ways to communicate that, that unpacks it or allows it to land in their heart. Straight away. Straight away. Different yeah. than if it has to work through one of these trade or functional languages. Correct. There's, there's, I say it's a, it's a double-edged sword. On one side, if you totally ignore language learning culture um, and just do a trade language, because people from European backgrounds will pick up Portuguese in literally a tenth of the time it'll take them to pick up a Bantu language, because it's a whole group jump that they have to make. But, um, so, and there are a lot of fairly effective bridge people here. So they can speak Portuguese, Mozambicans, and a tribal language. So I've seen people found ministries through just learning Portuguese. And I'm not one to judge that because I've seen fruitful ministries established in that way. Um, and you get also people who spend years getting to know the heart language and they actually miss, they miss what they could have started earlier. That is some cases. Um, most cases though that, that I've seen, and also there's the whole thing of Bible translation. If you totally ignore the need for as Westerners to learn heart languages, then we remove ourselves from our effective understanding of theology that locals need and the whole path of Bible translation which takes 20 years even more. That seems to be at the moment with this whole thing to get the gospel out and just do translation and just do uh, trade language. Bible translation mustn't be thrown out the window. It's a discipline. How can you still be with a group after 20 years? Because I'm translating the Bible. It's a tension that has to be managed of both now needing a redemption of people, but also long-term investment into people for ongoing exactly. discipleship. Exactly. That's the tension. Um, and there are people who I've seen who've been called, who, who haven't gone further in trade language and, and have been effective. Um, and then there's vice versa, you know. 
Um, and that whole curve, get to the trade language and start ministry, you're going to hit generally 40% effectivity in what you could understand and who you could reach. Learn the trade language or learn the heart language. You're going to take, when, when, when your colleagues are at 40%, you're still at like zero because you're still fooling around, knocking Bad around. At it. Right. Um, but over time, your graph curve actually passes theirs and goes right up to 80%. You come to 80% effectivity because you're in hard language. And I've actually seen that dynamic starting to take place now. With that type of dynamic in place, then you should be able to go deeper, quicker with other people if the gospel lands differently in the soil of a heart language than in a trade language. You get, you, you, you start, what, what I'm finding now, one of the things is why I started saying 80% is that um, chatting with people, they're, they're a lot quicker, come up with issues, marriage problems, things they're dreaming, um, sins they're trying to hide away, kind of normal discipleship issues that come up that I, I see, I see in some ministries, those issues are not coming up. And one of the keys is language. Because language influences how we think, right. how we problem solve, how, how we, we trust. Cross. How we trust, mm -hmm. how we do conflict, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. comes down to the languages and the, those background things that is more than just communication. It's the, right. it's the nonverbal communication that comes even through a language because of a thought process it's right. related to it, it. it. It's not just the sounds and the words. It's also a way of thinking that goes to language that can become lost. Um, so, for instance, when we're doing storing with Makua and Nahara people, someone's amazing the questions they ask because they ask things that are totally not wrong, but they're out of the box from the paradigm I'm working from. Um, we had a great question yesterday, I won't go into it, but it just threw us. You know, it was, it was about Adam and Eve in the garden and, and, and uh, the way God related to them. And when we're just doing through a trade language, we lose the spontaneous nature of, of a tribal theology. Yeah, and if part of our goal in discipleship is helping people to self-theologize and to right. develop their own processes for theology within their community and their application of scripture to their life, then it must become very important to be able to have it land where it really matters in the correct, heart. Correct, exactly. So what are some of the challenges of then working into and taking the time to develop these literacy skills? Why is it so important? What's, what's there behind that? It's, it's really interesting, but there, 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 there were two things that we just did this course recently, and the moment they were shared by this historian, it just kind of, bam, it hit home to me. I said, so true, because we've seen this. Um, one is a strong faith, a strong church, a strong body of Christ amongst a people group um, has two main pillars. One is their church is not linked to the state. So it's, it's not a state-run church. It's not, it's not, it doesn't exist through the power of the state, um, which may seem fairly obvious, but I come from a background where the church of our country was the church of our government. And when the government changed, the church overnight went from hero to zero in many ways. Um, but the other thing that's, that's really like a, 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 a poignant fact that I heard was when people have got the Bible in their heart language, then they are, they tend to have a strong history of Christianity amongst them. And Jesus said, it is written. He didn't say it's YouTubed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Sure. I'm finding this. I'm, I've got a danger of becoming an illiterate person because I'm more and more wanting to hear and see something. But I still, when I read something, it goes deeper and sticks longer. And um, people here are, take it before technology and YouTube, they're so used to listening, but they're highly inaccurate. If you ask them to retell a story, this mystic kind of wonderful tribal memory, yes, it's there. But it's highly inaccurate. They'll, they'll put all kinds of facts around the stories and in the stories that actually play with truth. And at the end of the day, what happens is truth is compromised. So the Bible can mean anything you want it to mean if you're only within oral. Plus information gets lost a lot easier. So a group that, that begins to come to Christ 
has to have the Bible in their mother tongue. And secondly, has to have a critical mass of people that can read and write, who can work it for themselves, who can open up a book and have that piece of paper talk to their minds, that the Spirit can talk through those words to them. Um, that dynamic's not amongst the Nahara at all yet. The 5% of people who can read very, very rarely can relate to a book the way they can relate to a person. Um, so introducing that culture is a, is a long road. So what are some of the, the safeguards or processes that you bring in during the discipleship process to allow people to communicate in the oral fashion, but also depend on the Holy Spirit and come up with their own interpretations of Scripture? What, right. what, what do you use as safeguards? Well, 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 a good bridge is that, um, fortunately, we're not the only institution or group that's doing literacy. We've got governments trying to push for literacy. Unfortunately, the letters of Makua are Latin, so there's not a lot of difference between the Portuguese alphabet and the Makua alphabet. So you do get people coming through the state system um, that can read and write, more and more amongst young people. But so when we have groups of people, we always want one or two people out of 10 or 20 who can read. So they will be the readers for the group. And that that does maintain a level of accuracy. Um, we also have, of course, the audio, audio players, audio Bible players. Like which MP3. MP3s. Right. That also maintains a level of accuracy. Um, and oral, with, with, with the whole oral storing, to be very sure and be very um, pedantic when telling the stories. That, that, that accuracy, that a culture of accuracy is introduced. Um, those, to me, are the three kind of safeguards to maintain as much accuracy as possible. But eventually, the foolproof way of having it is where you have a literate culture, which we are part of introducing. Yeah. And that, that literacy, as you said, takes time to develop those skills. But as you also said, it's not lost because there are ways to have good safeguards in place. So as the church is growing and developing and people are, that you can ensure that it's maintaining health and on track of where you mm -hmm. want to end up in that discipleship mm -hmm. process. So in that, you know, what but, are some... Yeah. Okay, so sorry to chip in, yeah. but there's like the, the buzzword has become orality and story. And it is great, great tools. We use them. We can begin the gospel and ministry with them. But it's not, it's not the long term. The long term, the impossible ideal, it seems at the moment, is that the culture would become literal. Yeah. That's the long term goal. So I read somewhere recently that 80% of all cultures are oral based. Um, there, often even today even today right um, so there's still communication mm -hmm. most communication happens through oral not through reading Correct. And their primary interactions and desires for learning is uh, verbal audio right. um, so how do you manage those tensions with such a high percentage of the world's population being oral based right well exactly in the ways I mentioned um, but not forgetting the ideal mm. because the 20% and that would be very good to make a study the 20% in terms of governance in terms of healthy society in terms of an ability to stay out of paganism I can pretty much guarantee you those tendencies are going to be far stronger where there's a high level of literacy so yeah audio Bibles being sure to accurately tell and retell stories having one or two readers in any group of believers those are all great tools and, and help, but the ideal says the ideal. So over the years you've ran, you know, you've taught English, you've run radio programs, mm -hmm. you run oral Bible studies and groups like this. How do those variety of tools influence the discipleship of unreached people groups? Right. Well, certain tools are great for what we call wide seed sowing, scattering. So the radio is fantastic in a group where there's a high level of antagonism towards the gospel. Like we work in the horizon on the coast, there are hard people to reach. There's a 
strong social persecution, um, at times open persecution, like people don't get food or something like that, but not where people are killed, like in your more um, kind of uh, extremist societies. But um, so the radio is fantastic because it gets right into a house where a Christian, even an African Christian, will never get. And the radio steps right in there. So we found it, and we found um, at, as we've looked at things like the, uh, the the Muslim mindset, we've been able to address specific specific thought areas and fortresses that just open up people. And we get. I'll give you a quick example. When we got you, a Christian program was being done once a week for an hour, where they considered the good night if that 18 to 20 messages and maybe 10 callers phoning in. We considered a bad night if you've had anything less than 500. Oh, wow. and the, difference is, the difference is we, we do it in the local language uh, and we, we're doing it straight to Muslims. We, we're packaging it with Muslim terminology. Very powerful. So the radio is great. Touching on specific issues then that right. curiosity or... Marriage, the triune God, divinity of Jesus, um, all of that. You know, what is, what is law? What is grace? Um, all of that we go on to. So radio, fantastic for white scene saying MP3 little radios, audio Bibles, great for plowing into an oral society um, those are just like they're gems they're gold um, but they don't replace the most dynamic the most powerful form of discipleship is people who've grasped the gospel and are willing to sit with their groups and face to face share um, and also having this whole understanding that you haven't arrived unless you are passing on mm. um, that we've I've kind of that's taken me years myself to get that I haven't arrived just because I've led five or six people to Christ or ten people or twenty or a village we've only arrived in our ministry when the village is going to other villages and sharing to so the reproducing of disciples right. who make disciples correct disciples and make disciples bit of a cliche but unfortunately it's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean, you touched on some really interesting ideas there broad seed sowing where topics can be addressed orally doesn't really matter too much right mm-hmm. because anybody can hear it but you're you're almost talking about a funnel of discipleship really wide a little bit more personal with the mp3s mm-hmm. you know because they can sit probably as a family and listen or maybe one-on-one and listen but then face to face with other people correct that's deep discipleship that's where right. life on life happens where mm-hmm. you're impacting things that must be where really having a grasp of local language or the importance of that local language huge. moves you to a next level huge it happened yesterday the group of us we we're talking about um, husbands loving your wives and it's standard if a husband loves his wife occasionally he will beat her because she needs to be beaten that's the way the people that's the standard that's way the people think yeah. here right I scratched back and I said hold on guys in your Bantu languages there isn't one Bantu language and there's 220 of them that doesn't have this idiom a home is not built with a stick that's a that's a standard idiom right across Bantu languages it's like a grass is not greener on the other side amongst European languages it's just like in every European language there'll be some form of that of that that thought um, so I shared that with the guys right down in the very DNA of who you are God's redemptive nature there. He's put that thought into your culture. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have learned a couple of bunch of languages. Yeah. So that opened up a tool, that a key to a really powerful conversation that right. unfolded after Correct. that. And so, and so that's the importance of understanding exactly. that in heart language, mm-hmm. the discipleship process. What other lessons have you learned or what, a, what would you pass on to people who are moving in this direction of investing time or resources or what in, in, in language and acquisition or understanding the cultures that they're working um, in? I'd say be very sure to, to not take shortcuts, that um, we live in a society, the quick society, quick money, quick thoughts, in and out, 
the Millennium Complex. Um, and in that light, be very sure when you work out your personal language policy, um, don't follow the modern trend. At the same time, um, work out practically, can you afford to be here for the next 20, 30 years? Um, so are you going to be doing something like Bible translation? Does, does the place have a Bible? Um, are there effective people in both languages, um, key people? So if, if there's a number of things in place and your time is going to be short, then don't go further than trade language. And be very sure to keep up with latest uh, missiology, like CPM, movements, things like that. So you can be very quickly effective. Um, on the other hand, if you want to form long-lasting friendships, have a very long-term effect, see this culture become a mature in Christ, uh, have, have people who are mature in Christ and are able to take it across to other cultures, to cross those borders, um, then learn the language. And, and know that in your first five years, if you're working into another language group, so if you're English and you're working into Arabic, or you're working into, into a Bantu language or an Eastern language, know that, it's gonna, that you're going to have a, a pretty frustrating five years. And know that in the moments of your highest frustration, when you think you're learning nothing and you're going nowhere, that moment wouldn't be there if you weren't learning. <laughs> That's refreshing. That's refreshing. Um, yeah, and that investment will pay dividends it will. in the long it run. It will, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so stick with right, it. Stick right, stick with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last thing I want to add to that, I've met a lot of people who they are so into language and culture learning, they forget to maintain their reading of the Bible, reading of the Word, their spiritual disciplines. So friendship, abiding in Christ, remains paramount throughout. It's over and above language learning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, maintaining that first love. First love. First love. So key. Right. The language, the culture, is, is, it mustn't become your God, and it very quickly can for some people. And moving beyond as a learner, that you will make mistakes. Like, and you still can make some mistakes even after you've mastered a language a long time. So it's never going to be a perfect journey anyways. Correct. But keep going on that journey. Right. Keep, trying. keep trying. Keep growing. And eventually it'll And look at off. tools. Look at tools. There's lots of stuff. Different organizations. Um, different ways. I'm, I'm a full immersion learner. That's the way I do it. I find projects I can do as quick as possible to get into a group, spending time with them, having to work in the language with no other, with no other options. That's my way of doing it. And then I'll refer to a grammar book every now and again. Um, other people are opposite. They want to get it in a book first and then go out. Work out what works for you. Yeah. yeah. But take the time to, to invest in learning language. And Absolutely. To make, to make disciples. Absolutely. Yeah. Grant, thank you for this conversation. Very enlightening and the challenge of making disciples, the importance of learning language, learning heart language to communicate deep mm -hmm. so that we can go long and see growing, maturing churches um, amongst unreached people groups. So they're no longer unreached. Pleasure, but yeah, thanks. Thank you, man. Appreciate Good. it. All right. Good chatting. Thanks for tuning in today on this uh, conversation. I hope you found it encouraging and, and enlightening in the re realities of our oral situations. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, um, there's information on the episode notes and don't forget to subscribe and share this with others and we'll see you next time.